All right, welcome everyone. Uh, this is Sergeant First Class Nathan Hutchison with OCPA LA or the Army Entertainment Office. Uh, I am joined today with Sergeant First Class Michael Smith. And Michael Smith is uh, an athlete extraordinaire that is, is part of our Army team. Uh, I'm not going to spend much time talking about all the things that 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 he has done and, and accomplished. I'm going to let him spend some time talking about that. Uh, but needless to say, he's won a tremendous amount of awards, including a a ride that he just got back from uh, that was in the middle of our talks uh, the other day, which is why we're doing this recording again, because, you know, turns out that riding bikes and uh, doing an interview is not a you know does not a good combination but uh, we're happy to have him with us again and uh and and leave this up for for all to see so with that uh, Sergeant smith yeah um thanks for having me again yeah riding bikes and doing an interview uh is probably not the best way to to do something um but yeah, uh, like you said, I just so I just finished the um, the race across America. Um, it was over three thousand miles of riding, over one hundred seventy-two thousand feet of climbing. Uh, we started in Oceanside, California, uh, ended in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, at the Navy Academy. Um, yeah, it was it was a tremendous experience. I was on an eight-man team. Uh, I rode with a team called uh, Team One Mile. And uh, basically, that team was, you know, full of vet. It's a, uh, it was a veteran-based team with a, uh, alongside pro athletes. Uh, just the cause, the mission was to raise awareness for, you know, the silent killer, you know, for the, for the PTSD, you know, for people suffering in silence. So um, that was our main mission to raise money for that. Um, I don't know. Little did I know when I did I know when I was talking to you, we was in like first place. So we took, uh, ended up taking first overall for, you know, the mixed relay team, which is. Pretty cool, um, you know. When you compete in something like that, you always want to shoot for the shoot, do your best, and shoot for the top. I don't think any of us knew what place we were in. We were just trying not to suffer as much as possible. So, um, yeah. So, uh, just I guess a little bit about me. I just uh, I'm originally from uh, Texas. Um, joined the army in '98. I'm actually getting ready to retire here in about a month or so. Um, I have about 24-ish years in. Um, yeah, uh, got injured and in, or my MOS is a 13 Delta, originally a 13 Charlie, but 13 Delta. Uh, went on, did a couple of deployments, went on from there to going to recruiting. Uh, ended up becoming a career uh, recruit as a 79 Romeo, uh, various duty stations across the country. Uh, I got injured in 2011 in a hit and run uh, motorcycle accident. Um, you know, I. I guess you know at that particular time I thought it was over, but little did I know that was that was the beginning, you know, of everything. That was the end and the end of one life and the beginning of a new chapter in my life. So, uh, pushed on from there and ended up becoming the first above the elbow amputee uh, in the history of the military to uh, receive fit for duty. So, um, yeah, man, I just took that took that as a as a you know a charge of responsibility. Um, to, to show people, you know, that it, you can be knocked down, but not knocked out. And, you know, the choice is always yours. And so I chose to keep fighting and keep going and uh, participating in various uh, sporting events, you know, Warrior Games and Victor's Games and 
Um, you know, I even uh, became a, uh, a pair of skeleton bobsledder, uh, made the national team in that. Um, and then from there, I found triathlon. And, you know, that's where, that's where I'm at right now. That's what leads me to the stage I'm at right now, just uh, shooting for a 2024. Um, that's my goal. And uh, I'm looking good. You know, we'll, we'll see, you know, how that works out um, at 41. So I'm starting pretty late. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I, I have I feel like I have what most people don't. And it's that that tenacity, that just that drive and that will to just like I'm one of those people I, I'll, I'm willing to pass out at the end. Like I'm willing to give a thousand percent for that for that one that one race that I need to get to where I want to go. So. Yeah, man, uh, that's where I'm at. Uh, I guess on top of that, uh, I'm also the uh, USA Triathlons um, Elite Ambassadorship Team Captain. Uh, I'm also USA Triathlons Man of the Year. Um, and I just recently, I think about a month ago, uh, I received uh, the Military Sport Award from uh, Team USA as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm on my way. You know, I'm just trying to make it work and, and, and give it my all, man. All right. Um, so for one thing, let's, let's start with, so you said 41, is that you'll be 41 in 2024 or you're 41 uh, now? I'm 41 now. So, okay. How's just yeah. for clarification? Not that I'm putting oh, a yeah. number on you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so can you tell me a little bit about, uh, the process and, you know, obviously, you know, anytime a soldier, uh, goes through trauma uh there's a there's a lot to deal with uh you dealt with right. trauma probably in a place that you that you weren't expecting it you know right which is um you know we we go to battle and, and we expect certain things um you were you know in the middle of your recruiting duties um how does that impact you and then how did you go from there to this point uh yeah man i, I... You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, um, losing my arm was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because uh, it just changed my whole path. You know, it just it just threw me on a whole different career path. Um, it just made me respect life and look at it a different viewpoint. Uh, but like you said, the hardest part wasn't the physical being. It was the mental and emotional. Just because of being a combat soldier, you know, a combat armed soldier, you don't expect you expect to be injured downrange not here at home you know and um that was like one of my big that was one of the biggest battles that i had to fight was trying to heal um and take advantage of the opportunities that's out there but also you know kind of feeling like i was undeserving of the opportunities just because of you know the way i was injured you know i mean granted it wasn't due it wasn't due to my fault you know a lady was texting and driving but um you know her negligence but that was the hardest part just knowing that i was an injured uh injured soldier um here at home in a car accident you know versus you know out protecting the country so um that was the hardest thing and then just trying to just trying to get back on track you know just uh trying to accept my new normal uh and just knowing that sometimes it's okay not to be okay you know um there's just things that we can't change and I think as soon as I recognized that, um, I was off to the races. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
We talked before about some of the uh, the influences. I would like to hit on the. So you were sent to the Warrior Transition Battalion, right? Right. Um, can you can you walk me through that part, and then uh, and then how you ended up in the uh, the World Class Class Athlete Program from there? Yeah. So. Um... Uh, initially, I, I didn't want to go to the Warrior Transition Unit. Um, I just didn't want to be there. I just didn't want to be in that environment. Um, I think at that particular time, I was like still bitter and angry and just wanted to get my medical retirement and roll out. Um, but I'm, I was forced to go, so I'm, and I'm glad I did. Um, I know when I first showed up, I was, I was, I was pretty angry and I was pretty bitter, you know, and. Um, you know, a young lady by the name of Heather, man, she, uh, I don't know what it was like, cause I think when I actually first met her, I was probably disrespectful towards her, to be honest with you. And, um, cause I, I went and met her, I was in her office and she was telling me about all this stuff that I could do and all these different programs. And I pretty much was like, yeah, look lady, I don't even plan on being here that long. Like just sign this paper so I can get out of here. Um, you know, and I remember she signed it and I left and, she followed me downstairs and she right before I walked out the door, she was like, listen, she was like, uh, I understand, you know, and I was like, do you? And she was like, no, I, I really do. And we just kind of had a heart to heart. And, um, you know, she found out that, you know, I played all army basketball at one point in time. And, you know, I, I played in uh, college a little bit, you know, so she was like, there's no reason why you can't get back to that, you know, and she's the one that kind of really jump started that, that, this path that I'm on now, you know what I'm saying? Like if it wasn't for her, I, I don't know if I would have ventured down this road. She, she's the one that put me in this, this reconditioning uh, era. Um, and she challenged me, you know, every single day, literally. I mean, from, um, I mean, just from everything, obstacle course racing, marathons, uh, you know, you name it, uh, I did it. You know, horseback riding, whatever, whatever it was, you know, she threw it in my way and she challenged me. And, you know, I'm one of those people that if you challenge me, then, I, you know, I'll accept it. As much as I don't want to do it, I'll do it just to prove you wrong. So um, she challenged me every day. And so, I, you know, I give her tons of credit of why I even started, you know, the, the, the path that I'm on, this, this journey that I'm on. Um, you know, and then, um, you know, just another influential uh, person that came into my life while I was at the transition unit was... Uh, Colonel Edwards and his uh, and his wife, Miss Renee, um, just again, you know, somebody that came into my life um, as a light colonel came into my life and just saw the potential, you know, and, and saw he saw stuff in me that I, I hadn't I have yet to recognize, you know, and, um, you know, he's just. When you're in that wounded warrior atmosphere, it's there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of drama. It's a lot of, you know, it's just a lot of you have a lot of soldiers trying to recover and discover their new normal. So, um, and I think, you know, I think I was starting to, I, I know I was starting to go down the wrong path and he just kind of grabbed me and reeled me, you know, he reeled me in and uh, he just kind of accepted me. It's almost like he just took me in as his own. Um, his wife, Miss Renee Edwards, she took me in and like, she just became like a mother figure to me, you know, as well as other people, but like they specifically were on me really, really tough and forced me to, I don't want to say grow up, but they forced me to, to, to soldier again. You know what I mean? And um, they just gave me a, a chance at life that you know I, I didn't know that I had. Um, 
because at the end of the day, it was his call whether or not I stayed in. And he wrote a recommendation letter. And um, he once again, he's just another one of those people that came in my life that jump started a, a, my career over again, you know. So I called him and Miss Renee my jumper cables because my battery was dead and they came in and jump started it. So, yeah, um, being at the transition unit was really that was a tough go around um, just because of the atmosphere. I didn't like the atmosphere. So that was a tough go around. And um, I just saw like it, I, I recognized that I still had a lot of leadership uh, capabilities and qualities that I still that the Army still could benefit from. And so I fought to stay in and uh, I received my fit for duty and I went back to recruiting um, and continued on with my mission. Yeah. And technically, with the World Class Athlete Program, it falls under. Uh, uh, does, doesn't it fall under recruiting command? Uh, yeah, it does now. Yep. Okay. Yep. Which is fun. Which is funny because I had never even heard of the World Class Athlete Program until like three, uh, three and a half years ago. I had I had no idea, and I had been in recruiting this whole time. I had no idea that was even a thing. Uh, and now that I'm in, you know, the the in, in WCAP, it's so funny because now recruiting command, everybody that I used to work with at headquarters, the generals, the sergeant, they all come up to WCAP, and um, you know I see them and it's like a, a huge family reunion. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, and so um, transitioning to that. Well, so <laughs> we should highlight the fact that. You know, one of the Army's, uh, I guess, uh, signature sayings right now is, you know, the people first. And that starts on an individual level, right? And so oh, the Lieutenant Colonel, you know, he was influ influential because he was an individual doing, you know, looking out for a soldier, you know, and looking right. out for multiple soldiers, I'm sure. Um, and now you are, you are, you know, at least internally charged with the same task. And, you know, how has that, you know, how has that been working through you? I mean, it's good. I mean, um, and it's cause it's kind of like one of those life lessons, right? Like where, you know, somebody takes you in and, and they make you realize. And, um, I, I did, like you said, I internalized that man. And I've, I've learned from that. And like I said, I, I feel like I was charged with a responsibility to not only recover for myself and heal and and move forward but you know to reach down and, and and do the same for others you know um and i've learned that you know i've, I've learned to just uh, be open about my story and be open about you know all the, the 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 different obstacles i faced and um i just know as many times as i can tell my story um the better just because at some point it's helping somebody right so um and I've had the opportunity to talk to several people who's come to me and be like, hey man, like, how did you do this? How did you do that? Or I'm really hurting right now. I'm, you know, I'm going through some stuff, you know, can you do my talking? So, um, I mean, honestly, that's what happened to me yesterday. I was on base going through my retirement briefing and then this young lady put me to the side and she kind of like opened up to me and that 30 second opening up turned into like a six hour conversation and I ended up going to talk to the garrison song major and, you know, and a chaplain because she really needed some help. But I'm glad that she she saw my arm and she saw my situation and, you know, it made her curious and she got to ask some questions and we had a conversation. And 
you know, one thing led to another, but at the end of the day, I was able to get her some help. So yeah, yeah. It, I'm in a, I'm in a pretty unique role, I guess you could say. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's significant that you've, that you've taken, so, taken something that, you know, I mean, some people get mad about, you know, their, how hot their water was in the morning before they, before they go to work and, you know, it, that can ruin your day. Uh, and you've taken something that, that is a significant life event and you've turned it around and it really is something that helps put people into perspective uh, and, and put your problems in perspective, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, like I said, uh, losing my arm was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me because it, it did, it showed me how to put life learned lessons in perspective, right? So like, um, I'm so, I'm super laid back. I'm so calm. Like, I feel like I have the same demeanor all the time. Um, my family, they're just like, oh, like they watched me finish the race and they like, you didn't seem like you were super excited. I was like, oh, I was, but I'm just so calm and laid back now. Like I take things, I receive things differently now, you know, um, even on the, the race, uh, I mean, I faced some challenges. I even had a guy uh, try to hit me with his car during the race and then was screaming out racial slurs. It was like, tell me I don't belong here, all types of stuff. And my teammates wow. were with me and they saw this and they were like furious. Like they was wanting to chase the dude down. Like they was wanting to kill that dude. And I just, I just kind of, like I said, I, I receive situations differently now. And I had to tell them like, listen, you know, this is what, this is where we're at now. This is, this is the world, you know? And if I go retaliate and if I get into an altercation with him, that doesn't make me any better than him. Like that makes me actually worse because I let him you know, get me to a point where, you know, that's out, outside of my character. So, um, you know, I just kind of broke it down to them and they actually had a chance to see what my life is like through my own eyes, which was, you know, I feel like everything happens for a reason. Um, and my team is made up of pros and, you know, former pros and Navy SEALs and all that. So like they live like a different life than I live and have lived. So they got the opportunity to see it firsthand and, um, it became a pretty emotional uh, event for them. For me, I was just like, all right, whatever. Like, all right, you're ignorant, you're done. Like, I'm gonna let you think and say what you wanna say because at the end of the day, I know that none of that stuff is true. So whatever, like words only mean yeah. so much. Let them, let them on the hate and, you know, yeah, you don't yeah. get words sucked into so much. Yeah, so, but like I said, had, it, had, this, had that happened like, 12 years ago, uh, it'd have been, I probably would be on the front of army times, <laughs> you know, army soldier kills somebody. Hey, I would have went off. Like it would have been a problem. I would have went chasing them down. But now I'm just like, I have, I handled it way different. I was able to educate other people based on that. You know what I'm saying? So like I say, man, everything happens for a reason. I feel like we've been, we are put in positions for a reason, you know, and I just try to handle each, uh, each obstacle, all the adversity and, and, and the most methodical and, uh, mature way as I can. Yeah. Uh, so one thing that we talked about last time and uh, is also, you know, pretty important and, and one of the one of the important groups that you said helped you through this process was your family. Uh, so can you can you kind of talk about that a little bit? Was who? Your family. Oh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm a man. I'm all about family. You know, um, 
I have, so I have a twin sister, um, and she means like the world to me. My sister, my mom, my grandmother, my pet, like my grandparents, man, they mean the world to me. And um, without a doubt, like I know if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here. You know, I wouldn't have the state of mind that I have. And um, I wouldn't have had the will or the want to continue on, you know, when I did get hurt. Um, you know, I pay, I pay tribute to the army a lot for my mental, for my mental thought and my tenacity, but, um, my mom, you know, she, you know, she raised me to be the man that I am, you know? So, um, yeah, family is huge to me, man. And, uh, it's relationships period. I'm all about relationships, you know, cause, um, I just feel like at the end of the day, you know, just treating people like humans, being a good human and establishing rapport, establishing relationships, you know what I mean? It's just, that's just easy. That's, that should be like the way of life, you know? So I, I'm a firm believer in that. And um, yeah, my family plays a huge role in everything I do. Like they're my biggest fans, um, especially my mom and sister. Like I probably get like 40 texts from them a day. My mom would text me every single morning and she knows if I'm busy, I, I won't, I, I can't reply or whatever, but yeah, faithfully she texts me good morning, good night every single day. So, you know, it's good to it's good to you know have those kind of roots. Yeah, and and what about your kids? Yeah, so uh, I have two daughters, uh, seventeen and eighteen. Um, I mean, another just another reason why I am who I am and the type of father you know that I am. Uh, on my darkest days, my youngest Akaya was just like, you know, I don't know if that day I was struggling or she just. You know, I kind of seen me going down the rabbit hole, but, you know, she was like, um, out the blue, she was like, Dad, she was like, you're still my superhero. And like that, it's things like that, man, that comes from your kids when she was only nine at the time. So it's, it's stuff like that, you know, that kids see and they witness and, you know, they're not dumb. Like they know what's going on and they know she knew what kind of emotional state I was in. And it was like at that moment, it was just like another switch, right? It was just another jumper cable that was like, okay, so you got to get up by, you got to get out of this mode because you're not living for yourself. You know, you're living for people around you, people that you got, I had to support. And so, you know, that was another switch that just hit home and just took me to another level, you know? So, you know, I just try to, every instance, every situation, I just try to use it to just as a plat, as not necessarily as a platform, but as a jumper cable, right? Like just taking me to another level. So just, just continue to climb, continue to grow, and yeah, just continue to be, you know, the best version of me. Yeah. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts moving forward with the Army? So obviously you're you're retiring, um, but you know this is a program that you, you know, it, you know, so you spend a small percentage of your time in the Army uh, right. with the WCAP. Um, do you do you have any plans on on continuing a relationship there or what's your oh yeah absolutely 100 percent. i mean I, I just you know i told uh my first on first on romos the the other day um i think he's the one that initially told me about um this but uh when he reached out and i was talking i was like man whatever i could do like so i'm a soldier always you know i'm i'm always gonna be a leader no matter where i'm at in the world no matter how long i've been retired I'm always a soldier and I'm always willing to, to lead and, and, and to mentor and groom and inspire. Like that's just one of, that's just in me as a person, but uh, I always want to be a part of uh WCAP and the process, man. Um, we just had two 
I mean, after I talked to, we had two uh, track and field athletes that qualified for Tokyo, the Olympics. And I thought it was so dope because on their post, they tagged me in their post and was like, hey, shout out to, you know, uh, Sarn Smith, AKA Dream Chaser for, you know, just encouraging me when I needed it. And uh, he was like, and one of them said, even without talking to him, me going to his Facebook and looking and, and just seeing how inspiring he is just encouraged me to keep moving forward. Um, so, I mean, that's my role, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like people spend a lifetime trying to figure out what their purpose is. Um, but the minute uh, I accepted my new normal, the minute I accepted the person that I, I'm going to be and who I am, like I knew my purpose. And my purpose is, is to encourage, motivate and inspire. Like that is my purpose. My purpose is to help. My purpose is to help make a change, you know, in my own way. And I know, I knew it starts with me. So, you know, I, I just try to do what I can in my own way to just create change. Awesome. <clears throat> and so after the, after the accident, this is, that was 11 years ago, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, and so, so for 11 years, you've, you've stayed in the army, you fought to stay in the army and then you stayed in the army only you know about four years of that was with the wcap uh and so the rest of that time uh you know you were just doing the army job every day for the most part um yep, yep. and uh you know how do you relate that to soldiers and say you know not only am i where i am i have fault to be here um you know and and how does that relate just a, a state of mind an army state of mind you know how do, how do you see that? Well, I mean, so like I said, I've, I've had the opportunity to to speak at several Army balls, I mean, several, you know, uh, Army engagements. And the the way I convey, convey that to other soldiers, leadership, whoever is, um, yeah, I'm, I'm this elite athlete right now, but I always was, I, this is new to me, right? I mean, four years, four years in this program, and I'm still considered a rookie. So um, before that, I was grinding like every single soldier, every other soldier. But how, what I tell them is, is I fought. So I fought to be here. I wanted to be here. This was not something like they told me I had to do. I, I mean, I could have I could have left a long time ago with 100 percent disability, medical retirement. I could have done all of that, you know, and been well on my way. But I fought to stay here. I fought to, to you know, to still stay in and fight and work with my, you know, the people you know, that wear the same uniform that we, me and you both wear. So, um, and I just tell them like, never settle. You know, the army is never gonna go the way we want it to 100% of the time. But the times that it doesn't go your way, you can't get complacent and just start to settle for the things that you don't want. Um, you know, and I just tell them if you want it, you know, you gotta go seek it. And when you when you find out, you know, when you seek it, go get it. Nobody Nobody controls your destiny like you do not even the army and it's so crazy to say that but the army doesn't control your destiny you control your destiny you control how far you go you control what type of job you do because if you really want it you'll figure it out you know um i really wanted to stay stay in the army so i figured it out and the odds were against me like it hadn't been done before so just because it ha hasn't been done before it doesn't mean it can't be done you know so i decided to be that trendsetter and i tell people other soldiers be that trendsetter be that one out of a thousand soldiers who decides to go to a different route. That route may, I mean, it's, it's the easy left or the hard right, you know, and that hard right 
it's not, you know, it's against the grain and it's not the popular decision, but if that's what you feel is for you and you're willing to work for it, go get it, you know? So it's kind of how I, you know, convey that to other soldiers and other people, period. Now, because uh, our audience is, you know, we're, we're dealing with a Hollywood audience, uh, is there anything that stands out uh, in, in a particular movie or anything else that, you know, either sticks with you or, or sticks with you because it, you know, you're like, well, that's, that's not how it is. Um, is there? Uh, I don't know, man. Like, so back in like 2014, they were casting for, uh, they wanted a, so they wanted a, a person of color that was an arm amputee to cast for this role for some movie. And I forget the name of the movie. I don't even know if it ever came out. I, I don't know, but like, I just remember uh, it was in Dallas and they were, or it was in, it was in California. They were like, put, had me put on this uniform and had it all like shred, shredded up and like the fake blood and all this and all that. And I just remember like, some of the role or the role I was playing and some of the lines they was having, they wanted me to say and how they wanted me to act. And I was like, this is a kind of like, that's not how this works. I was like, this is not, I'm not about to, I was like, you know, I'm an active duty soldier. Like I'm not about to portray this role because that's not true. Like it's not how any of this works. I was like, y'all might want to consult somebody so y'all can get the true meaning behind of all of this and how this really operates because as of now like nah it was something crazy like i was supposed to lose my arm and then i was supposed to like i don't know i was supposed to fly from i think iraq all the way back home while people were working on me and all that stuff and i was like yeah it doesn't work like that buddy <laughs> don't doesn't work like that. You don't get picked up by a bird and you fly all the way back to the States. You know, uh, there's, there's other protocols. You go to Germany. There's so many other things that there's that in-between state. And there's just the, the some of the, some of the roles they was having, or some the role they wanted me to play was just really weird. So I was like, nah, that ain't for me. So, yeah. How do you feel about the, um, you know, so if there's people, We'll, we'll we'll touch on the recruiting side, right? Because uh, okay. you know, so if there's if there's athletes that are thinking about joining the army, you know, do you think that this is the viable place for them? I mean, especially with with the W cap and uh, <laughs> I put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a good question, actually. Um, so I would tell you, I would I would like to say ninety percent of the athletes in WCAP are off the street. They don't have any prior service uh, experience and you can see it. Um, and it's frustrating for me being a senior NCO and just watching some of the nonsense that goes on. But um, man, I don't know. Um, is it an opportunity? Absolutely, 100%. Um, but my challenge for people, for uh, athletes like that, if I was still in recruiting, my challenge to them would be like, because most of that, I'll say most of the athletes we get are like top tier athletes already. 
they're like national champions, world champions, uh, on the verge of going to the Olympics, and they choose to come in, or they they need like that extra income, that extra support. So that's their only reason for coming into the army, right? So, um, and everybody has their own individual reasons. I don't knock it one way or the other. You know, everybody comes in for different reasons. When I came in the army, it wasn't for the army. It wasn't to fight. It was to help support my mom and sister. So my reasons were very, very different. It wasn't even for college money. I could care less about that at the time, you know? So I guess my challenge to people like, to other athletes would be to really do your homework about the army because you could only be a pro athlete for so long. Um, and your window for the Olympics is about that big, you know what I mean? So rarely do you ever see, uh, repeat Olympians, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's so far few in between because people are so talented these days. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just so rare that you get that phenom athlete. Um, and typically those phenom athletes that can repeat like that are not in the <laughs> They're not in the military, you know what I mean? Yeah. They they can get sponsorships, they can do what they want to do. So my my goal or my my challenge to them would be to really know what that army life is like. Uh, because once you're done being an athlete, you still you you're still obligated to the army. You still owe the army some time. So, you know, um, and a lot of them, you know, when their career, athletic career is over, they it hits them like a ton of bricks, like, oh, I gotta go play soldier now. I gotta go. I got to go ruck up. I got to go do this regular. I got to go play G.I. Joe or G.I. Jane every single day now. Like, it's a different story than putting on Team USA sweats every day versus putting on, you know, OCP. So, no. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I, that's a good one, though. I don't, I don't know. The program is, is built for athletes, right? So, I would like to see uh, – them be some sort of prior service first, get some sort of, you know, army knowledge under their belt, uh, at least two years before they can come into the program. Just, I mean, just because these kids, are, they're kids and they're coming straight off the street and they yeah. don't know any better. They, what they know of the army is AI is basic training in AIT. I mean, both me and you know, like they don't even, they don't even hardly soldier there anymore. They just basically going to class. They're not even really soldiering any, like there. So, you know, I would like to see them do some time on the line and then come in. So, I don't yeah. know. Well, and that's a part that you don't see, uh, you know, right. when, you know, so we have people competing for the Olympics right now or about to start the Olympics. And, you know, you get that pride from seeing the, the U.S. Army soldiers up there. Uh, right. But as far as what their background is or anything else, you know, you don't you don't really know anything about them other than the fact that they uh, they're a soldier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you really don't know. I mean, I, I've honestly I've met people that's been in WCAP their entire careers and they've been in 10 plus years and it's been as an athlete. And then at, from an athlete, they turn into a coach. So, yeah, like, I mean, it's still it's still honorable is still a sense of pride when you can look on the podium and see like that huge, you know, army emblem, you know, you, you know, um, there's no other branch that puts more, uh, athletes in the, on the Olympic team than the army. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that's, that's, that's super prideful, you know what I mean? And that's, 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 you know, that's something that we could be, uh, proud of, but yeah, like you said, we don't know the backstory. So, 
right. Um, I think that's about all I got, except for, you know, I'd like to open it up and, you know, if you have anything to add uh, that you would like to. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. So, um, you know, in the midst, I would say in the midst of all this chaos, you know what I mean? We kind of hit on it earlier on how the world is and, you know, how people are mistreating each other, this, that, and the other. Um, so I'm in a sport, you know, of triathlon where, um, you know, I'm by far the minority. Like I show up to races and I am the only person of color there, you know what I mean? And I guess I would say, um, you know, in the midst of my triathlon careers when, you know, all the George Floyd stuff started happening and, you know, all the soldier inequality stuff started happening. So, you know, I was able to, uh, I was able to uh, co-found, uh, co-found, uh, co-found a, a nonprofit uh, foundation called uh, Swim, Bike, Run for Equality. And it's basically, you know, it's, it's initiative primitive is, is based on sports because, you know, sports is that one thing in the world that people from all over can come together and root cheer have a good time and there's no issues right there's no there's hardly ever any racial stuff no racist like it's just it doesn't matter who you are what you look like where you come from we're all cheering for that one person or that one team so um you know the basis of that you know my foundation is just to uh give somebody something to cheer about right and and just to get people off the couch and get them involved and uh just have them you know look beyond themselves you know and 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 focus on humanity right and just you know accept each other for who we are and you know like i said you know no matter what the person to your left or right no matter their skin color or you know how big or how small or you know what gender they identify with or religion background it's just about being a good person so um you know in the midst of all this chaos and COVID, man like um i think i'm one of the few people that can say man COVID and yeah, COVID 2020, 2019, I, I mean, that was the best two years of my life so far. I mean, it's crazy to say that, but like, I was able to bury my head and, and focus on my, you know, my athletic achievements. And I was also able to focus on my foundation and, and, and try to make changes, you know, not only to people in uniform, but just all over the world. And, um, you know, making, when we're making our way, you know, and I think that's important. You know, I, like I said earlier, I think, um, you can't expect anybody else around you to change if you haven't changed yourself, you know? So I can't, I can't preach to you telling you what to do if I, if I don't believe it in myself or if I'm not working on myself as well. Right. So, um, this is just my way and my, and my foundation's way of just saying like, you know, we just want humanity to be good. You know, we just want to be good to each other. So, um, that's one of the things I'm gonna focus on when I retire is my foundation and moving forward and, um, you know, mentoring and, just yeah just trying to make this world a, a better place you know in my own little special way i guess awesome and that's what you know i, I think it's <laughs> all of it's uh, significant but you know definitely handing you handling yourself under pressure uh through aggression and you know uh that's a that's a level of of calm that you know most people can't achieve you know, regardless of the background, regardless of anything else. Um, but I mean, if, if you could bottle that up and, and sell it, then we'll be a, you know, it'd be a lucrative business. Um, 100%. I don't, I don't know if you can, 
if you can teach something like that. But I mean, that's uh, that's uh, good on you for trying. You know, that's uh, that's significant. Yeah, I don't think you can teach it. I just, I, you know, it's like that old saying in the army: you just gotta lead by example, right? You know, some of the best leaders I've had, you know, they weren't they weren't great teachers, but they led by example, so it was easy to follow them into combat. It was easy to take uh, orders or direction from them because they led by example, you know what I mean? So uh, just trying to lead by example. So, you know, people can just be like, when people meet me, I don't want them to be like, oh, I met this dude, he's a great athlete. I just want them to be like, oh man, he was he was a good person. He was a good human being, you know? So it's easy to, to get behind him and follow him. And it's easy to, to you know, follow his cause, you know? So, yeah. All right. Well, uh Michael Smith might be a hard uh, a hard name to uh, to single you out uh, when people are looking you up, but all they have to do is look for the photo of the guy with the with the medals around his neck. Uh, yeah, that's it. And, yeah. yeah, and Dreamcatcher is 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 kind of your 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 slogan, right? I mean, there are your yeah yeah. So <clears throat> it's it's funny. So I actually uh, uh, actually in the process. Uh, so I have a publicist and she's actually in the process of patenting, uh, you know, that logo. So it's, uh, it'll be hashtag dream chaser. So they were actually in the process of, you know, patenting that so nobody can you know, steal my glory. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to, to hear nothing but great things from you in the future. And, uh, this is, you know, great information and you know even the second time around and uh right, right. Know, without, without the wind this time <laughs> right right uh, to better uh, identify disinformation as it's occurring that, that'll be critical um that would be the kind of thing that would be important to a commander um because again like i said we don't ever fight at home and so therefore that disinformation can be incredibly dangerous uh for the for the coalition partners that we're relying on or whatever host nation uh, might be involved but at this time with project convergence i, I wouldn't say we're, we're really tapping into that yeah absolutely um so we do have one question uh asking about uh software how it can be protected from hackers uh i know you're not a cyber guy necessarily um but uh is that a potential threat and what might be the threats to the future if it's not focused on if we're not focused on counterinsurgency? so just looking at you know the the threat of hacking uh in yeah, so I would refer to that as a persistent threat. I mean, that's not stopping. Um, you know, from my experience when it comes to cyber, you know, we have this in the movies glamorize this as well as the, there's some kid in his mom's basement with a hoodie and he's hacking your computer. Um, I think what reality tells you is a lot of the hacking tools are publicly available. Um, they're fairly cheap and they're automated. And so it's really about a guy pushing a button and then coming back later to see what he caught. Um, and so we, we, we deeply re respect the fact that that is a persistent threat. It's happening all the time, 24 seven. And so as we're designing software, uh, it's the, and you'll hear this term DevSecOps, but it's this, it's where the developers, the security folks, and then the operational folks that are gonna actually use the software are coming together in a meaningful way to iterate solutions. Um, and, and the reason it's DevSecOps is because the security piece cannot be left out. It's, it's just absolutely too much, too, too important. Um, and it gets even more critically important, at least in our eyes, when it comes to our weapon systems. 
uh, and the things that more and more are, are again becoming software driven uh, and digital, if you will, in nature. Well, we certainly very recently seen the strategic impacts of, of hacking with the uh, Colonial Pipeline and um, certainly those kinds of persistent threats that are uh, sometimes nuisances, but sometimes, you know, can be very uh, damaging or going to continue in the future. Um, so you obviously you see that as some component of the enemy's anti-access area denial will be a hacking component of that to hack into command and control systems. Yeah, I, I think when you talk about, you know, you know, the cyber domain, a lot of it also gets back to, you know, the cost. Um, and that cost is not always monetary in nature. It's the it's the cost of taking an action that involves back to your, your, your comment about information. So I'm going to do something now, and, and now on the information space, uh, it brings risk to whatever I've just done uh, because of the way it exposes me, the way it portrays me, um, et cetera. And I, I think that's a, a part that we can't lose sight of either. Looking forward, sir, you know, uh, you mentioned Project Convergence 21, uh, the focus. What can, can you speak specifically about the technologies that you're looking at in 21 and, and going forward, uh, what you can foresee in 22? Um, you know, I can't go into depth with a lot of the technologies, uh, yeah. you know, but I'll give you one that some people kind of take for granted, uh, unless you're a soldier. Um, you know, there's a technology that, um, if you've seen the movies and you see a, a soldier medevaced, um, and sometimes it's this hoist that goes down. And, and so, uh, what actually happens is as that's, that hoist is being raised to bring the soldier up, it spins. Um, and, and that spin is, is, I mean, just imagine if you're the soldier, you're already not in a good shape. And so now this thing's spinning like crazy. So we actually, there's a technology that is a hoist that doesn't spin. Um, and, and, and that's an opportunity to make a difference, you know, for a soldier. So we're, we're, we're excited about that. Um, but most of the other stuff that we're doing, you know, unfortunately, it's not, not really appropriate for this net. And it just gets after the things I talked about. It's about, you know, you know, how do we, how do we do everything faster? How do, how do we see? How do we understand and then how do we act um, and and really so it it's well over 100 technologies and it's not again it's not just army technologies uh, it's joint technology so each of our partners is bringing something in um, in order for us to, to get that meaningful contribution well I, I you never ask a question you already know the answer to i guess but uh, i'm assuming that the soldiers uh take very kindly to this technology they, they're probably are, are sort of geeking on it as they would say well, so I, I think, yeah, from a, not necessarily that hoist, but, you know, some of these, like this IVAS, uh, yeah, some of the soldiers are, are pretty excited about the way it's changing. And that's why we're we're just happy that the multi-domain task force and the 82nd Airborne are, are, are coming together with this because they're, they're the octane to this experimentation. Uh, again, it, it's, let, let me find an organization that has some degree of imagination who fights, that's what their profession is, but I'm going to give them something. I'm going to say, hey, this this can do this differently. You don't have that right now. How would you use it? And then you allow the genius of that commander, you know, the, the imagination of, of his or her staff uh, to come up with new ways to fight. And that's really what we're, we're on. You know, it's, it's not, you know, what, what 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 could we do in the future? And that's that's what's really necessary. So, sir, uh, if you can explain to us how Project Convergence fits in the grand scheme of all the Army exercises that are done every year. I mean, obviously, COVID put a wrench in all of that, but where does it fit in all of the other large-scale Army exercises that are, that are conducted? 
Yeah, so project convergence is going to be the centerpiece for the Army going forward. Um, it's a campaign of learning, so this isn't just, you know, we're not just doing it this year, next year. Um, the leaders uh, have kind of expressed this. There's probably going to be a decade-long event, if not longer. Um, so that campaign of learning also drives what we call unity of effort. So for all those other experiments, all the other things that we're doing in the modernization space, uh, Project Convergence kind of gives you that central azimuth to kind of bring things together in a meaningful way. And, and we do that because we want the outcomes of all those other things to contribute to what we're learning in Project Convergence. Um, you know, when I say a campaign of learning, I, I truly mean to learn. Um, and so we're looking at it that way. It's It's got support from Army senior leaders um, and all, it's got support from our joint partners. Uh, and so we're just excited about the opportunity it gives us um, because we do need to act now. We, we do need to bring these technologies to, to the force as soon as possible to ensure they're ready for that future fight. Uh, that's awesome, sir. And I mean, it's, it's really exciting to, to view this uh, going forward and to see the focus that the Army has placed on modernization. I mean, obviously standing up a four-star command uh, first time in 40 years uh, to address modernization. It just shows the emphasis that the Army is placing on, on preparing for the future. Um, well, sir, uh, pending any other questions, I, I am really uh, glad that we got the opportunity to speak with you um, about this topic. You know, it's, it's something we keep coming back to because we find that the uh, entertainment industry, you know, they're always trying to figure out what things are going to look like. There's a lot of futurists out here trying to figure it out. And so uh, we keep coming back to this topic of future warfare. Uh, and I think this uh, definitely helps us to be better informed about, uh, about what, you know, um, for our audience, I'll say that we do, um, we will have this recorded. It is on our YouTube channel so that uh, everybody can view it. Uh, if anybody uh, was going to be calling in but didn't have the opportunity. Um, but so I'll leave uh, you an opportunity for any final comments that, uh, that you may have. Yeah, so Brad, I just want to say again, thank you. Thank you to you as well as to ACPA LA. Um, you know, thanks to, to whoever, not only is who on and who's on now, but who might be watching this video in the future. Um, it's a privilege to represent Army Futures Command. Um, and so for me to have the opportunity to, to talk about the things that I enjoy uh, doing every day uh, it's just a, a sheer privilege. So again, uh, thank you for the opportunity and uh, look forward to any future discussions. Thank you, sir. And thanks for everything you're doing uh, over there at Futures Command. Uh, as I, we will probably be running into each other uh, pretty soon as I take over uh, over there at the 82nd Airport. So I'm sure we will be meeting again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's uh, that's it for our Joe Talks. Uh, actually, personally, my last Joe Talk. Uh, it's been a thrill doing these. Uh, really enjoyed it and uh, very excited for uh, where Joe Talks goes in the future. Uh, this is a great, another great example of uh, how we can connect the Army with, uh, with the entertainment community because we understand the value and the impact of what entertainment, entertainment uh, media has on the American public and helping them to better understand their Army. Uh, so anything that we can do from, from our seat to try to help the American public better understand the Army, uh, we are more than willing to do it. So uh, thank you, sir. Thanks again. And uh, thank you for everybody attending. Take care.